Hello, this is Dr. Ron from Dr. Ron Unfiltered, Uncensored, here on Blog Talk Radio. We are here each and every Tuesday at 4 p.m., bringing you the latest medical commentary. We will bring you very interesting guests. We can be reached at 347-989-8899 or, of course, on the Internet at blogtalkradio.com. I thank you for making this the number one listen to medical program here in South Florida, and we will get on with the show very shortly. Thank you. Good afternoon, everyone. This is Dr. Ron here on Dr. Ron Unfiltered, Uncensored, and we are Unfiltered, Uncensored, and are self-funding and bring you the -the up-to-the-minute medical news and commentary and guests, Uh, and we're just happy to be here and uh, appreciate and your your listening. We're very uh, gratuitous, and as we say, we have an attitude of gratitude. And today we're going to have a special guest, uh, Dr. Janet, uh, I'm sorry, Miss Janet, Miss Janet Doman. And uh, she is the uh, founder and the, the, the director uh, of the Institute for the Achievement of Human Potential. And we'll get to her uh, when she gets into the studio. Uh, before we start, though, I must tell you that this program contains general medical information. The medical information heard on this program is not advice and should not be treated as such. The information is not intended or implied to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. You should never delay seeking medical advice, disregard medical advice, or discontinue medical treatment because of information heard on this program. You are encouraged to confirm any information obtained from this program with other sources and review all information regarding any medical condition or treatment with your physician. Ladies and gentlemen, we will have Dr. Jerry come on shortly, and Dr. Dan will join us, and uh, when our guest uh, uh, comes into the studio, Dr. Jerry will, will, will talk with her. I want to tell you a little bit about next week's show before we get started. Uh, next week's uh, show will be about drugs and polypharmacy. I just want you to know that Dr. Donald Light wrote an article called The Epidemic of Sickness and Death from Prescription Drugs. He teaches at Rowan University, and he's received many accolades. He's also a visiting professor at Stanford University. He says, epidemiologically appropriately prescribed prescription drugs are the fourth leading cause of death tied with stroke. Ladies and gentlemen, that amounts to 2,460 deaths each week in the United States. About 330,000 patients die each year from prescription drugs in the United States and Europe. They, these drugs, are causing an epidemic of about 20 times more hospitalizations, as well as falls, road accidents, annually. About 80 million medically minor problems such as pain, discomfort, dysfunctions, these hobble productivity or the ability to care for others. Death and adverse effects from over-medication errors and self-medication would increase these figures. Ladies and gentlemen, we're going to talk about this next week uh, because of recent articles that have just been published in the medical journal stating that uh, 
We need more pills. We need a quad pill. We'll talk about this poly pill that's back, combining four different uh, pills for uh, uh, hypertension for a disease that is just treating a number, not a cause. We'll talk about aspirin. It's been given to people for their lives. Now it's causing a lot of GI and cerebral bleeds. So the mainstream's uh, answer to that is, oh, well, now we're going to get proton pump inhibitors along with the aspirin. So, ladies and gentlemen, that will be the topic for next week. And with that, uh, let me introduce Dr. Uh, Dr. Jerry Smith. Good afternoon, Dr. Dr. Smith. How are you, sir? I'm doing good. Uh, I guess I just sprung on you next week's uh, topic, but after I saw that article about, uh, you know, we're not giving enough aspirin and we should be giving it to, uh, you know, elderly people, we just got to give them more drugs so they don't get the GI effects. It's just mind-boggling, mind-boggling. Yeah, years years ago when my uh, father-in-law came up from Florida to visit, with my wife and I, <clears throat> I, I saw his arms, and he had these hematomas all over his arms. I said, Dad, what are you taking? He says, nothing. I said, come on. He said, doctor, have you on aspirin? He had him on seven baby aspirin a day. I said, wow. he's going to kill you. I said, if you're getting bleeding in your arms, I said, next thing you can happen is up in your brain and you get a stroke. So he yeah. finally went back to his doctor, and they, and they lowered it to you know, maybe one a day, but it was craziness. Yeah, it is crazy. And and wait, wait do you hear the study we'll talk about next week about about aspirin. It is just aspirin causing bleeding in people over 75. I mean, why, why do we need a study for that? We already know that's going to happen. Well, the studies that showed it was potentially beneficial for preventing heart attack, they had a higher incidence of stroke. But they left that conveniently yeah. out of the uh, the information that they disseminate to the people. Uh, but I'm going to tell you something that's even more egregious, and that the study they're referring to shows that it was only good for 28 days after a heart attack. 28 days, not 28 years. Right. So uh, we really uh, we're bringing on a lot of diseases uh, on our on ourselves, and we really have to uh, take control of that. Uh, Dr. Jerry, I think Dr. Dan is here this week, so let's say hello to Dr. Dan. Uh, Dr. Dan, how are you? I'm still alive. I didn't make the obituary this week, so thank God. How do you like that? <laughs> I even checked it, too. I went down the corner and looked at the paper. <laughs> All right. I see, a phone number. I see a phone number in the studio that I wasn't prepared for, but let's see who this is. Excuse me a second, ladies. Hello. Is this, is this, is this Janet Doman? It is indeed. Oh, my gosh. Okay, Janet. Well, uh, Dr. Smith, uh, my... Trusty co-host gave me a different number, but this number appeared on the on the on the on the studio board. Well, thank you. Welcome here, and we'll give you a, a formal introduction here in a second. And I, I do want to talk about your dad later on. So, Dr. Jerry, okay, uh, Miss Doman is here, so why don't you uh, uh, introduce her and uh, and let's get on with the program. Yeah, well, I can't believe that I know Jennifer for like 12 years and uh, been working with the Institute uh, with the brain-damaged children. And I'll tell you, it really warms your heart when you finally meet people that are spiritual and really want to make a difference in the world. And that's what uh, Janet's all about. That's what Glenn's all about with Douglas and, and the fantastic staff 
that the Institute uh, has on hand. I mean, it just blows you away. Uh, you think you're in another world, but uh, in reality, it's the real deal. So I know it was in 1955 that uh, your dad, Glenn, you know, put the Institutes together. And, um, you know, it's an international organization, so it's not just some ad hoc little group that meets once a week or once a month. They they really have programs not only for brain-injured uh, children but for wellness children because if you take a, a normal child and you teach them uh, incredible techniques, uh, their their IQ, their abilities, you know, far exceed the average bear. And uh, that's what life's all about is you want to go out kicking and screaming. So I know the Institute deal with uh, – you know, intellectual, physical, and social excellence. They also have the centers all around the world in Japan, Mexico, Singapore, Russia, uh, Fauya, which I'm going in about a week and a half to participate. And um, it's just exciting to be part of a group that is going to make a difference. So anyway, um, I invited uh, Janet to be part of our program because the audience needs real information not fluff. You know, we're tired of the fluff, and that's why we do this program, is to present information to help, the, you know, improve the quality of life of our grandchildren, our own children, whatever, neighbors that we can expose them to. And so without, you know, belaboring the issue, I would love uh, Janet to introduce herself and uh, tell us a little bit about what she's involved in. So thank you. Well, I'm delighted to be asked. I couldn't be happier. What Janet, would you like welcome. to know? <laughs> well, basically, uh, Janet, I know. Go ahead, go ahead Ron. You can. Yeah, basically, okay, Janet, we... yeah, you're dealing with uh, all types of uh, uh, issues like hyperactivity, uh, vaccine damage, uh, trauma injuries, you know, to the brain, and so uh, you know, how did was it your dad who actually introduced all this uh, information into the program, or it was just a a growing experience through the years. Well, uh, my dad, his work really began with the great Temple Fay, the neurosurgeon um, who was probably a hundred years ahead of his time um, in Philadelphia. He was his primary teacher, and they began by treating stroke patients, and um, that was such a successful. They 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 decided that stroke patients should be able to be to get back to work instead of sitting on a gurney or in a wheelchair. And that worked out so fantastically well. They did such a great job with the stroke patients. And, you know, they were 60, 70, and 80 years old that they began to turn their attention to very young brain-injured children because they realized, here we are fixing an 80-year-old, but while we're fixing the 80-year-olds who have neurological problems, uh, three-year-olds are being uh, medicated and institutionalized. And so they began to shift their attention. And when they started treating children, at first they used the conventional treatment and found that not only did the children not get better, but they got worse. And so they had to discard those conventional notions And they realized that what they'd been doing in the conventional wisdom around brain-injured children is really to treat the symptoms. You know, brain-injured children have 
a vast array of very alarming symptoms that can be can grab your attention. So they began to realize that they couldn't treat the symptoms anymore, that the problem was in the brain. I think that the only radical statement my father really has ever made is the statement that brain injury is in the brain. And if you want to do something about it, you have to treat the brain. You cannot treat the periphery. So they began rolling up their sleeves in 1955 and doing just that. And as soon as they took their attention off the symptoms and put their attention on creating a program of stimulation and opportunity in recognition of the way the brain actually grows and develops, then the kids started to change. And that was very, very, very exciting. That sounds like it was earth-shattering. I mean, you know, compared to 1955 mentality, I believe their attitude was uh, everything was fixed in granite and that, the, you know, the genetic makeup was, you know, couldn't be altered. Well, it, it was it was worse than that. Physicians were then, and maybe still to some degree, were essentially taught that once the central nervous system is injured, it cannot be mended. And that was the thinking way then, and to a large degree across the world, it still is the thinking way, that there is something called irreversible brain damage. You hear that term all the time. Um, But it turns out that the brain has a tremendous capacity to rehabilitate. And, you know, it, it, the brain runs everything. So in many ways, it's the most changeable organ in the body. And well, that was exactly what they found. Yeah, on that note, I know you're big into nutrition. What are some of the general guidelines that you use with these uh, brain-injured children that come into the Institute with, from a nutritional perspective? Well, remember, Jerry, the kids that we're seeing range from comatose, blind, deaf, paralyzed, and sensate to all the way to kids who may only have a mild learning problem and every type of child in between. Um, so their nutritional needs and their nutritional solutions really cover a very, very wide range because the kids we see cover such a wide range of ability and challenge and problem. But, of course, we want to put our kids on the most healthy, natural diet possible, and we want to make sure that they're not being exposed to pollution, um, to chemicals in their food, um, and certainly uh, making sure that everything we put in their bodies is going to be good for their body and for the brain. Well, this is 180 degrees of what conventional medicine, they don't believe that the food or nutrition has any impact on the healing process. Well, it, it has, for, for brain injured kids, it has a huge impact. And, in fact, it's the very first thing we do before we start on anything else. We make sure that our kids are eating properly, and there's certain basic things. We take away dairy, um, and that has a very beneficial effect because many, many brain-injured kids have ear infections and upper respiratory infections, sleep problems, and just eliminating uh, 
cow's milk and dairy products from their diet, that is a big improvement. Um, we're very careful that they get proper hydration because often that can be an issue. And then, of course, we have to balance the protein, the carbohydrate, and the fat properly. Many of our kids get supplementation, and we are very careful about what supplements we choose and the amounts of those supplements. Um, so that's done on a very individual basis. And, of course, medication. Many, many brain injured children are put on medications that are suppressive to the central nervous system, even have a sedative effect. And we have to very gently um, get them off those medications. That could pose a problem if the child's physician uh, doesn't go along with your paradigm. Um, How do you handle that? Well, you know, our kids do their program at home. They don't do it at the institutes, and mostly that's hundreds if not thousands of miles from us. So we do have to create a relationship with the primary care physician. That's essential. And sometimes that means mom has to forge a better relationship than the one she had, and sometimes it means she simply has to find a different primary care physician. But it's in the world in which we live, it's not possible to have a severely brain-injured child and not have a support of a responsible physician. So, yeah, we have a, we have a job to educate um, our kids' physicians. But, you know, also coming along now, there are young physicians coming along who don't think they're gods and do think nutrition is important. So I have some hope uh, for some of the young physicians coming up, that maybe um, maybe there'll be a new world around the corner. Well, that's fantastic. Um, one of the interesting things I come across from the institute is your ability to work with these children on a one-to-one basis. So it's not like you know you're thrown in a group with a you know as a number. I mean, you take. I've never seen such care. Uh, devoted to these young children with all kinds of uh, you know disabilities, but one in particular was like with Down syndrome because I had treated that one patient that you had referred to me, um, mm-hmm. and he like he had a tetanus vaccine trapped in the left lobe of his thyroid and thimerosal on the left side of his brain, and I knew when we we removed those two toxic elements, the child soared in his abilities. I mean, you probably see similar type situations. Well, we do, and of course, it's still a big challenge because um, not only hurt kids, but you know, well, kids too um, are often subject to heavy metal contamination, and as you know, Jerry, that can cause all kinds of problems for the central nervous system. So we have developed some ways of detoxing our kids from the heavy metals, and it does make. A, a huge difference, but I think we still have a long way to go because particularly mercury can be very, very tough once it's in the central nervous system. Um, it can be very tough to get it out. So I think we still have, first of all, we shouldn't be letting it go in in the first place, and that's a, a, an area of great concern for us. And when it does um, 
contaminated child, then, then we have to do everything in our power to get it out. And when we do, the changes in the child are dramatic. Well, I know another common denominator is this fluoride issue. Um, it's really despicable that it's a mass medication, and I'm sure the fluoride being the most active metal in the periodic table and toxic, it suppresses thyroid function, but uh, I think it also brings up lead into the brain uh, quicker. And, and do you have a guideline about the fluoride? Well, of course, one the minute a child starts on our program, we go over every way to prevent problems we can. We, rec- we recommend air purifiers, HEPA air purifiers in the home. We recommend getting the highest grade water filtration that the family can manage because I know here in Philadelphia, these things are right in our water. Um, you know, they're putting these things in the water. So depending on where our kids come from, um, the first line is, you know, do no harm. Let's get all the devices we have to get to prevent these things from going in in the first place. And um, that's really where we start. But our kids come from all over the world. So, you know, we're looking at kids from Indonesia, probably the most polluted place on earth. Um, Some of our kids come from more pristine areas, and that's great. But, you know, and you know, and I know pollution is everywhere. Absolutely. So what are some of the exercises um, that you provide to help rebuild the pathways uh, in the brain? Well, our children are put on a balanced program, a physical program, an intellectual program, a physiological program, and when they're ready for it, a social growth program as well. The physical program um, often begins with having the child have the opportunity to move in ways that the child may never have had the opportunity to move. Many of our children spend their days in a wheelchair or on their backs, and we take them out of the wheelchair, we take them off their backs, we put them on their bellies, and we give them lots of opportunity to move on the floor, to learn to crawl, to learn to creep, and then to get up and be able to walk and to run. Um, You would be amazed uh, how many kids we see who have literally never been given the opportunity to be on the floor and move. And it's it's shocking, but it it is the case. Well, I know you had one interesting case uh, in May when you had that program at the Institute where that one child was, like, blind and... uh, what they said he was never able to speak or walk, and um, you, the Institute flipped them around. Well, you know, we keep a very careful um, reporting of our results, and I think um, we're very proud of the fact that uh, for kids who come to us blind, and we do see a significant number because the visual pathways are very vulnerable to injury, and if oxygen is cut off or if it's decreased to the brain um, for a significant enough period of time, uh, sometimes blindness will result. And if you look at that group of children who come to the institutes and they are blind, uh, about 86% we will successfully get them not only seeing but reading. And 
uh, we're, we're very proud of that. The same uh, thing is true of kids who come to us deaf. Um, again, these have to be these blind and deaf kids are kids who are blind and deaf because of an injury to the central nervous system. They don't have a peripheral problem with their vision or their hearing. It's a problem that occurs when the brain is injured. And we have an even slightly better statistic getting deaf kids able to hear. So, yeah, the, these things that seem so irreversible and so impossible um, are actually quite um, easy to change when you know how to do it. You know, it was very interesting. You had referred a, a, a patient to me, that the Victoria, who was blind and had some other issues, but when I tested her, she had cytomegalovirus in both eyes, and I think her mother was kind of like uh, pleasantly shocked in the way I said, you know, removing the infection from the eyes could right. benefit the whole healing process and, and sure. give her better vision, yeah. Absolutely. Well, that's where your work is invaluable because you can evaluate those things in ways that we cannot. Well, it's exciting to be part of the program, and I know we work with a, a world-renowned orthopedic surgeon who uh, has worked some miracles, a Dr. Adolfo Panfili from uh, Italy. Actually, Rome, I believe, is where his home base. Yes. And, uh, you know, he does chiropractic. He does acupuncture and, uh, you know, some surgery when necessary. Uh, and, you know, you, you change someone's quality of life around. So um, it's fun, you know, when you give back to these children and, and get them to where they can function. Well, and the other thing that I, I want to emphasize, when I say we get a, a blind kid to see or a deaf kid to hear, Jerry, we don't lay a finger on our kids. Our program is done entirely at home by mother, father, grandmother, and the kid himself. So the, the real miracle is not you can get a blind kid to see. The real miracle is mom did that, dad did that. Um, that was done a thousand miles from our door because what we do is we teach parents and parents are the very very best therapist for their kids so basically what you're telling the audience is that the the parental structure has to be 100 percent committed in your program is that correct absolutely um generally it's mom but sometimes it's dad but one parent is yeah is is actively doing the program every day because our kids have gigantic problems and gigantic problems require gigantic solutions. Absolutely. Is there any, you know, uh, recommendations that you could make to our uh, listening audience on uh, how to approach uh, the problem, like, you know, res any research. I know you have a tremendous website. It's IAHP.org, and I strongly recommend anybody who has a, a neighbor or a child, a grandchild, to go on that website, IAHP.org. There's a, a wealth of information and videos on there to, you know, show them, you know, what can be done with children also. Research is, is really important, uh, and I know a lot of your uh, – people that come to you basically have fallen through the cracks or they've been battered a little bit and maybe a little gun-shy. Uh, how do yeah. you overcome that issue? Well, you know, we're very, very lucky at the institutes. The parents who find their way to us 
they've been out on the battlefield often for a long, long time. And by the time they get to us, they are very knowledgeable about what doesn't work. And they are very determined that they're not going to leave their kid behind, that they're not going to give up, and that they're not going to accept that their kid is hopeless. So our parents are really kind of seasoned veterans before they get to us. And, of course, um, it makes them very tough and very strong and very willing to do whatever needs to be done to help their child. They're incredible people. Yeah, and I know Glenn had written a few books, and I think what you have written some books. That could you recommend to our audience uh, some of the titles that may be a benefit for them well, to for just kind of read over? Well, for anyone who has a hurt child, and I want to clarify because brain injured kids are very seldom called brain injured kids. Brain injured kids are usually given symptomatic diagnoses. And the last time we counted, there were something like 350 different symptomatic diagnoses. So terms like autism, cerebral palsy, developmental delay, um, ADHD, the list goes on and on and on. These are all symptomatic labels that will be put on a brain injured child Parents often arrive at our door, and no one has ever said to them that their child is brain injured. I mean, that seems incredible, but it's the way it is. So most parents, if they put in, if they go to the Internet, they're going to put in one of those terms, and they're going to end up in a swamp of all the places that will be using that symptomatic label. So to answer your question, um, the first thing we would recommend if you have a child who has a problem in the central nervous system, no matter what symptomatic label may have been put on him, we would recommend the book, What to Do About Your Brain Injured Child. Um, That's by Glenn Doman. You can probably get it at the library, but if you can't, it's certainly there on Amazon. It's certainly there on our website. And... That is a pretty comprehensive look at our history and what we believe matters in the world of brain-injured kids. We also have a book that is called How Smart Is Your Baby? Now, it's true, we wrote it for the parents of well babies, but that book will walk you through the Institute's developmental profile. So many, many parents of hurt kids get that book because they can then learn how to use that profile to evaluate their child. And there's a huge amount of advice in that book that really does help you to get a blind kid to see, a deaf kid to hear, an insensate kid to feel, and an immobile child to begin to move. So nowadays, a good number of parents, when they arrive, if they already read that book, they've already put their child on a program, and they're already getting results. And that's very heartening to us. Now, a third book, and this will sound like a wild one, is the book How to Teach Your Baby to Read. By 1960, 
we had begun to teach our severely brain-injured children who were three, four, and five years of age, we had begun to teach them to read. This was so successful. They learned to read so rapidly, and they read so well, that by 1962, my father sat down and wrote the book, How to Teach Your Baby to Read. That book was an overnight sensation, and it's really traveled around the world. It's now in 23 languages. It's been in hardback since the first day it was ever published. And I would say the third book I would recommend for parents of a hurt child would be that book because the intellectual growth of the child is so important. Probably the biggest misconception about brain-injured children is that if you're brain-injured, you're stupid. You know, that brain injury, there's a correlation between brain injury and intelligence and low intelligence. And this turns out to be absolutely untrue. It's it's possible to be severely brain injured and be highly intelligent as it is to not be brain injured and be a jughead. That's fantastic. Um, Do you have, like, families that someone who possibly would be interested in bringing their child to the Institute to, you know, call and and speak with or? Sure. Um, Of course, if I had a hurt kid, you know, yes, the website is a great place to go to learn more, and we certainly recommend it, Um, and certainly getting the book. But the first thing I would do is pick up the phone and call our registrar, Harriet Pinsker, so that she can answer your questions, and if you want to talk to a clinician, she'll arrange a free consultation then and there so you can talk to a fully qualified clinician about your child. And that's that's a great first step. Yeah, and your programs are available, I know, in India and Russia and Australia. So, you know, you can make it relatively convenient for people, let's say, they're living in a, in a foreign country. Well, we do give our we do give a, a one week course. Um, we're just giving it this week in in Philadelphia, but we also offer that course in some countries around the world. We've given it in Delhi. We've given it, we give it regularly in Italy, in Japan, um, Moscow, Mexico City. We have one coming up in in August. I'll be doing it in Singapore at the end of July. So, yeah, that course travels, and that means that parents can attend that course and learn a great deal about brain growth and development. And by the end of that course, you have really a battle plan to follow once you get home. You know what you're going to do with your child. So it's it's a very intense week. It's a very life-changing week, and I think it's very effective. Janet. Uh, this is okay. Dr. Ron. Uh, yes. On, on this pa- this past week, I was on a radio show uh, hosted by Butch Carroll. It, the f- name of the show is Fighting Words, and uh, they talk about boxing. And uh, they asked me about this upcoming show, and I told them about it. And uh, uh, Butch has actually called in, and uh, he, he just has some questions. I think you mainly treat children, is that correct, uh, and w- what age group? We do, then- but we have adults as well. We do have some adults, but, yes, it's mainly kids. 
All right. Uh, Butch, are you there? Yeah, I'm here, Ron. All right. Did you want to ask uh, Janet Doman a question about the, the, the fighter in Philadelphia? Yeah, it, there was a uh, fighter um, about three weeks ago, uh, went down in the middle of a fight, uh, was knocked out, completely knocked out. Now his brain is scrambled, and they're not really sure. It's swollen. They're, they've keep, kept him on a uh, medically induced coma to um, try to relieve some pressure, but uh, they don't seem to think this kid's going to to uh, be able to come out of this. If he does, he certainly will not have all his faculties that he had before. Uh, do you do you people see that? Well, certainly we have treated such people over the last 60 years, and the first thing we would say is it takes a significant period of time for swelling when there's trauma, for all the swelling to really go down. So you really can't do an accurate um, evaluation until that swelling has dissipated. So the patient has to be given time for the swelling to go down. And I say that because often, you know, in the old days, the patient would be given that time. In the modern world, um, shockingly enough, uh, sometimes very drastic medical decisions will be made before that mm-hmm. swelling has time to go down. And, you know, plugs will be pulled, uh, uh, organs will be donated. And uh, that to us is just shocking beyond belief. So first and foremost, give the patient time to have the natural recovery that takes place after the swelling subsides. That's number one. Number two, there isn't anybody in the world who could look at that patient right now and say anything intelligent or reliable until that swelling goes down and until a very careful neurological evaluation is completed. The brain has huge recuperative powers, um, and, and once that swelling does go down, you want to immediately and aggressively start to intervene with stimulation and opportunity. And that stimulation has to be appropriate for the condition you're treating. You have to apply the correct frequency, intensity, and duration of stimulation to all five pathways that go into the brain, the visual pathway, the auditory, the tactile, even taste and smell should be used. And, again, it's going to sound like funny advice, but if you look at the book, How, um, How Smart Is Your Baby?, you're going to see basically another name for that book could be How to Get Your Kid Out of a Coma because that book is really teaching how to stimulate the five pathways into the brain appropriately so that the stimulation will arrive and so it will grow the brain. The brain literally grows by use. It grows by use, and that's something that a boxer should understand. Just as you can make the biceps bigger and more effective, you can make the brain more effective because the brain grows by use. But you need to stimulate and you need to provide opportunity. So for this young man, that's what needs to happen. And it needs to happen aggressively and it needs to happen by a team of people who believe that he has potential. 
because as far as we're concerned, he's still alive. He did right. not leave the party. He could have left the party, I'm sure. I'm sure there are people who are less injured than he is right now in a hospital somewhere who checked out. Right. He did not. He's still here. He didn't leave the party. And I would say to everyone around him, make sure you keep the party going. Yeah, Ron, yeah. let me give you my two cents. You know, IV vitamin C, and it's still available because I just got a, I spoke to my compounding pharmacist. Uh, it's like 500 milligrams per ml. But that is unbelievable to, as an anti-inflammatory. Yes, absolutely. And, yeah, and, and see, traditional medicine, they don't think in those terms. They're thinking in steroids, which unfortunately suppress the immune system. Um, that's a major consideration, and it's, you know, most hospital pharmacies carry vitamin C. And if that could be done, that, that inflammation will be reduced dramatically. The other key component that most, uh, I'm talking 99.9% .9 of the doctors have no understanding. When the head receives trauma, there's a basic motion to the skull that gets disrupted. In fact, I had a 15-year-old uh, yesterday that had three concussions from uh, gymnastics two years ago. And the headaches and the nausea, the mental fog, you know, the, the neck stiffness, you name it. I adjusted her cranium manually it took me a little over an hour and reset the the pump the synchronization of the base of the skull and all her symptoms immediately disappeared now there's no physician that i'm aware of around that have, they have any clue about this thing you know when they treat concussion they put an ice pack on your head i mean that's barbaric right. it, it's, it's it doesn't even make sense but this is technology that's out there and it works you know there's a uh... There's a study out by the University of Pennsylvania at Pittsburgh uh, Brain Trauma uh, Research Center that said it, uh, over the year, well, one of my jobs is, is, as a commissioner is to to teach the the, um, the new referees and the current referees what to do when they're on the field, something happens, and how to do it. But, so I, I follow this pretty, uh, pretty closely, but they're telling us that, and this was just uh, – uh, June fifteenth, uh, there was a, a meeting in in uh, Phoenix of the um, uh, American um, Neurosurgeons uh, Association, and they're saying that there's over three hundred thousand sports-related trauma injuries, mostly brain trauma injuries from concussions, a year, and nineteen percent of it comes from uh, from a, per year uh, of the number of people playing are going to end up with it. Um, and then there was there's one out of McGill University up in Canada that said the 60% of the college soccer players are reporting concussions in the very first year. Wow. Yeah, but unfortunately they're not being addressed properly. And well, that, that's my, my question to you was how how can they be be addressed? Well, number one. You know, vitamin C is a basic non-invasive approach that's anti-inflammatory to cranial manipulation that's very gentle, and resetting that mechanism changes the physiology of the brain and, and the neurofunction. I mean, when someone – I had a, a woman with 20 years of migraines, two concussions, three whiplash injuries. Two and a half years ago, she flew in from Tobago. I adjusted her head one time, no more migraines. Mm -hmm totally gone. 
So, you know, there's very few people, unfortunately, out there that have the skill level to do this type of technology, but it's very powerful. Jerry, when I was in Philadelphia, I I studied and was a good friend of John Barnes. And John Barnes did cranial work. Is is the work that you're doing anything like John Barnes did? It's similar, but I've taken it to the next level. It's a component of what John Barnes is doing. But this, I've learned in 1983 from a chiropractor from Ireland who taught me this concept about synchronization of the base of the skull with breathing. And this guy was an incredible genius, and I've been using his technology since 83, and we've changed so many lives around with, you know, chronic pain. Uh, We had one woman, 24 years of facial pain, numbness, and tingling from a a mastoid operation to remove a, a benign tumor. And in one hour, I flipped her around after 24 years of pain, numbness, and tingling. One hour. Well, to, to get Corrected. to Butch Carroll's uh, question, though, uh, with over three hundred thousand of these injuries, uh, they you can't you can't do it. What no, practical but people advice have to be trained. The, the guy on the, right. So it's, that's, it's that's the bottom to train. line, Frank. Yeah, uh, they I you mean, have but, to get, but, or you have to get therapists that know how to do this. Yeah, but they the have field. to be trained. Yeah, but once once they, you know get the the instruction it it's not invasive it, it's simply done it could be done on the field it could be done anywhere but they don't have the knowledge to interpret what the heck's going on well the other the other thing that we're not really addressing too is there's so many coaches out there dad coaches in in uh, pop Warner high school coaches and college coaches that know that a boy uh has has a concussion and sends him back out on the field because he needs him out there. That's crazy. That's where, yeah. that's where I have my guys go to the sideline and quietly tell the coach, get that kid off the field. Absolutely. Once, yeah. we, once we know that that's happened, we remove him from the field. We don't want him out there. Because I'm not going to put any of, any of my coaches or any of my uh, referees in a uh, situation where some kids can really get uh, – get life-long life, uh, problems from it when they don't need to. We need to get them off the field and get them, get them someplace where they can get help. And the ice pack, I, I, I understand what you're saying about the ice pack. I see it every single game. I see it some, some parent out there with the ice rags putting them on the, on the kids' necks. You know, it's all, all nice to, kill, to take the body temperature down, but it doesn't do a damn thing when they're, when they're hurt. Oh, I agree. Well, you know, I'll be more than happy to meet with any of your your personnel to introduce them, and, and I'm sure Janet would uh, probably also participate in trying to educate people about the uh, brain hurt and brain injuries. Uh, the, the more awareness that's out there, the faster we're going to change the system, and that's what we're all about. And I think that's, that's, where, that's the advantage today, Frank. You really have two great uh, resources that you can you can call on. Right, and you know, and, and I'll uh, I'll contact the people at Pop Warner. They're they're right there in Philadelphia, over on Vine Street, and uh, see if we can't get some kind of a a program set up where they could do it. Maybe a tape that can go out to uh, all fifty states. Each state has maybe sixty, seventy organizations where they can show this thing, and just some some knowledge, a small particle of knowledge, will be passed on to some of these uh, numbskulls that are out there. 
Yeah, I mean, they can teach CPR. I mean, I took my uh, upgraded uh, course online, and, and the graphics were phenomenal. You know, whoever did the program, and then when you do your hands-on, it's a walk in the park. So the yep. educational yep. system is so fantastic today that it could be done worldwide and uh, easily. Sure. And, and you know, uh, Glenn Doman, Dr. Doman, uh, had that saying, leave no injured behind. And, and there's quite a few veterans out there, and we understand what that means. And these kids Great. cannot be left behind. Well, that's no. absolutely right. And, you know, that that is, you know, a, a longstanding uh, tradition here at the Institutes to say we, we can't leave the wounded behind. And, of course, that would include not only our little kids, but but uh, it really comes from the military tradition. And, uh, again, any any veteran listening to this show who has had a head injury and who needs help, um, I would strongly say, call us. We'll, we'll help you. We'll help you. Well, I can't ask for more than that. Frank, that's something maybe on on your program, uh, you know, you can talk about it, or yeah. I'll be glad to come on, or Jerry will be glad to come on, or even yeah. Janet maybe, yeah. because uh, yeah. you do have the you do have the elite in the boxing field uh, as guests yeah. there, and you even have uh, elites in the hockey field. So it's uh, you know we we this 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 is really important that we get the word out. Uh, so because there is something that can be done, sure. and doing nothing is sure. not an option. Yeah, you know, Ron, we have uh, we have um, uh, Dick Vermeil coming back on tomorrow night, along with uh, my buddy Ron Jaworski and uh, Vince Papali, and that would be a uh, a um, almost a, a threesome that uh, could get that word out there for you, because these guys carry a lot of weight within the uh, within the the football community and in the community period, but uh, and. You know, Jaws would probably even get behind it with some some cash to start something for uh, for kids because that's just exactly where he is, and so would Vince. Well, yeah, if you get a call into him, I mean, we'd be more than happy to, you know, interrelate with these people to show them, you know, the technology that we have and Janet's programs, and you know, the sooner we can get this thing proactive, boy, the, the sooner that you're gonna have less permanent damage. Yeah, I'm just yeah and, and, you know, and what is incredible is that, you know, it's, it, there, there's children, there's ADH children, ADHD they call them now, whatever. I mean, they, they're just drugging them up and they're not treating the problem. And that's something that we talk about on this program a lot of times, are giving, giving adults drugs, giving them cholesterol problems, uh, drugs, not getting to the root of the problem. Same with this, right, Janet? We're not getting to the root cause of the brain injury. Well, I mean, first of all, giving kids amphetamines is i just it's an astonishing idea to give a child an amphetamine um and of course, if your brain is already disorganized, if you already have an injury to the brain, to then add an amphetamine to that problem makes it much worse, much, much, much worse, so yeah, we would never ever have our kids on on those medications and when they come to us and they're taking those medications we get them off as quickly and as safely as we can and just getting them off the medications uh, improves them uh, but these over the years kids, over the years the we've always said in the dare program at the sheriff's department that that uh, 
90% of the drug population in the that would now would be baby boomers was caused by Ritalin, Silert, and all the other great Tazoxin, uh, uh, Desutol, all those great uh, uh, toys that mommy got to uh, keep the kids down and and so she could have a social life. Well, they're they're well, devastating to the central ner- nervous system. If anybody mm-hmm. saw the actual effect they have on the central nervous system, yep. they would never touch them with a fifty foot pole. Right, right. Well, uh, let's see. We have John. Let's just see. We have a couple of people here, I, ladies and gentlemen. All the microphones are going to be live. So if you have any questions for Janet Doman or Dr. Jerry Smith. Uh, or Butch Carroll. Butch has uh, a lot of experience both in the drug industry and uh, in the sports industry. And as he said, he was also a sheriff. So he's a jack of all trades here uh, to speak up. In the meantime, well, Butch, Janet, I have well, a, qu- yeah, ahead, I have a quick sure. question for Butch. Uh, what measures are they instituting in these sports for the young children to try to avoid the head trauma? That's, uh, they're, the um, USA Football has come out with a um, new rules and regulation on how to tackle. Uh, you can't go in with your head. No headbutting anymore. Uh, headbutting is immediate ejection from the from the uh, sport and a uh, a week sit out afterwards. Um, when it comes to, um, we used to be taught to use our shoulders, put that shoulder right in the guy's gut, and pull your head in to uh, under his arm to take him down. Well, that you can't do anymore. You come up both hands up underneath the, the shoulder pads and taking down that way. Um, that um, helps without the so that the kid isn't going to the ground, sure. somebody coming down on top of him and everybody else coming on top of that. But there is there is a, uh, a full course that each coach has to take now on uh, tackling, um, and uh, then they go into CPR, uh, we go into uh, – there's five other courses that uh, uh, have to be taken before you can be certified now as a coach. Oh, fantastic. Well, it's just, you know, they're finally waking up to the problem. They woke up after a $9.5 million lawsuit about five years ago. Well, unfortunately, that's what it takes. Right, right. But Pop Warner has done a fantastic job in getting some uh, superior people uh, doing – Excuse me, doing their tapes for them so that uh, uh, everybody can learn. Well, you know, we'd love to participate and try to make this, you know, a better world. So, um, you know, whenever you're ready, we're we're available. Sure. Okay, sounds good to me. And Janet, just as a, just as a bit of history, because I started my practice in 1966, and uh, and shortly after that, I remember hearing stories about children with sandbags on their back. And uh, and I started looking into it, and people were making fun of it. But from my perspective, kids were really doing great. I mean, the outcome was incredible. Uh, so, you know, I, I, when Jerry told me about you, I he said, I remember Doman Delicato. I could remember it like it was yesterday. And I'm not exactly sure of the dates because I got drafted into the service shortly after I started practice. So I'm thinking somewhere between 68 and 72 I think uh, your dad was at Crozier Hospital. Uh, it must have been his, earlier the, than that. He would have been maybe there earlier. earlier. Yeah, okay, definitely. It may have been in the early, in the 60s then, because I started there actually in 64, but didn't actually start a practice till 66. 
Mm-hmm. But uh, it, it's just come so long, and, and I'm sure you've, you've, you've put up with a lot of criticism, but your results speak for themselves. Well, I think they do, and as I say, it's really the results of the parents because they do the program, and they're really the heroes. Yeah, the criticism comes because they're effective, and uh, they're actually embarrassed that uh, independent organizations can make such incredible achievements, you know, without the big boys behind them. <laughs> well, I, well think I, think, the, I, th- the I think also questions... the, the, the Institute has to be commended for not having a control group. Because I remember opposition to, you know, the, 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 you can't have a control group because these kids would be left behind, and that's not part of the, the mission statement. You don't, you know, you well, leave no injured not. child behind. And, you know, the, the business of you have to have a control study, we all know children are not rats. They're not kittens. They're not puppies. There's no control. You don't have a litter that you can divide in half as you would in a true controlled study. There is no kid that you can match with your kid. No two children are the same. The only legitimate way to look at a child's progress, if he's been blind and deaf and paralyzed for eight years and we intervene and we give him appropriate stimulation and opportunity, we can then look for the next two years and say, well, how'd he do? Can he now crawl and creep? And is he now seeing and hearing? Uh, Then we can compare him to himself and say, well, yes, what the intervention that we took was effective or it wasn't effective. I think what we really have to ask to the big boys who come after us and give us a bad time, there are four basic questions. How many brain-injured kids do you treat? What is your treatment protocol? What are your results? And where do you publish them? And what you will find when you ask those four questions, almost invariably the answer to the first question is, oh, we don't treat brain-injured kids because that's not where the money is. They evaluate brain-injured kids, but they don't treat them. So I would ask the question, where does any group or organization or individual get off criticizing anyone else when they're not out on the battlefield actually treating kids in the first place. I think to be taking pot shots at the heroes who go out every day and pick up a hurt kid and run for cover, I think is disgraceful. I agree. agree. The results speak for themselves. and You you do a marvelous job. Uh, I have not practiced for the last ten years, but I still keep up with the with with everything, and and it's just it's just incredible. And when the, Dr. Jerry said you you know you would be willing to come on here, I th- I thought this would be so interesting, especially with my uh, affiliation with uh, Butch Carroll and the uh, Fighting Words radio station. By the way, ladies and gentlemen, Fighting Words is on Saturday night from six to seven thirty. Is that right, Frank? Yes. Mm-hmm. Six to seven thirty, and uh, but he's on every night of the week with a different topic and different sports. So, uh, but uh, I'm just going to open it up. Anybody, uh, Doctor Dan, you have any questions for uh, Janet or Jerry? Yeah, yeah, J- yeah, Janet. How are you? Hi. Hi. Uh, it sounds it sounds fantastic what you're saying. Uh, do you do you ever use any high ladder therapy? Any? Because- I'm sorry. 
high ladder therapy. There's, uh, are you uh, involved with the Institute for Human Potential on Stanton Avenue at all by any chance? That's where we are. That's who we are. Ah, <laughs> I don't know if I can mention any names on it, but uh, there's someone there that's related in the family uh, who's been there for, um, let's see, she's 46 years old now, and uh, uh, she was born with brain damage. And uh, I think it was a nugal cord. I'm I'm not positive. It's before my time. Uh, but uh, she is uh, now in a group home w- with a companion. Mm-hmm. So she's doing relatively well. So that is where you are. That is where we are. And yes, we. I think you're referring to the overhead ladder. It is um, something that my father developed to help kids start walking and walking correctly. And uh, yes. Um, that is our work. Wow. Yes, and uh, thank you. Thank you very much because I, I probably have it written down wrong here. <laughs> it's called the overhead ladder? Yep, it's called the overhead ladder. And, you know, my father came from the world originally of physical therapy, and physical therapists use parallel bars to get um, patients, adult patients, walking. But those parallel bars did not work well for brain-injured kids because brain-injured kids are often rigid and often Mm -hmm. gravity is pushing them down. And the more gravity pushes them down, the worse their walking would become. So walking was a very bad thing for those kids until my father came up with a different approach, which was the overhead ladder, where he really made gravity in the friend of the kid because with the overhead ladder, you have gravity making you straight rather than squashing you. And it it made a huge difference. Many, many kids were able to walk that overhead ladder many times a day, and one day they walk right off of it, and they're done. Mm-hmm. So does does patterning come into this at all? Why are you sure, using this? it's big, a big and important part of what we do. Okay. Patterning. And with with ADHD and ADD children, um, have you seen great results with that? Absolutely, because these children are among the mildest kids that we see. Mm-hmm. You know, we're used to seeing kids who are much more hurt. So, yeah, you can have a little disorganization as they do. Um, but it can create a big academic problem. So, mm-hmm. yes, they're very treatable, and we don't use medication ever. Um, we do use a very careful diet, and, yeah, we put them on a full neurological program, and they get a lot better, sometimes totally well. Do, do you do you ever see what, uh, I don't want to, if I should use the word cure or not, uh, well, you know, the, the word cure is, is a big hot button because it works. I think the word cure is great if you have measles or something, you know, right. um, because it, it works for a disease. But brain injury is an injury. You know, you don't talk about curing a broken arm. You talk about it healing. Mm. And I think that the same thing is true when the brain is injured. You don't mm-hmm. cure it. You heal it. It recovers. It gets better. And that's really what we're talking about. Okay, I I got you. It's sort of like a, it's sort of like um, uh, someone who 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 keeps the disease, but it's under control. 
Well, you know, if you look at one of our kids who's done the whole deed, gone all the way to getting well, if we diagnosed him when he came through the door as moderately brain injured, mm. the day we graduate him, basically the job of the program is to make that moderately brain injured child look mildly brain injured and then to make that mildly brain injured child look well. On right. the day that he's well, he is still moderately brain injured, but it doesn't show anymore. So who gives mm-hmm. a darn? It no mm-hmm. longer shows because we have used other parts of the brain to pick up the pieces. Got it. Appreciate Janet, it. Thank this is Dr. Ron again. Uh, the one thing that we didn't mention, and I'm not going to take up a lot more of your time, but uh, we had Dr. Sarah Russell on the program a couple of months ago talking about yes. mercury. And yes. she was adamant about uh, how the EMFs uh, opened the blood-brain barrier to mercury. So do, do you mention this in your program about keeping cell phones away from the children, turning off Wi-Fi, and, uh, and avoiding... We do. Uh, we do because okay. we're very, very concerned about it. Um, and it's it's a problem that we see everywhere, all over the world. And we are pretty adamant. Now, luckily, our kids are so busy that they don't spend their day with an iPhone in their face or an iPad in their face either. Um, But you know and I know a huge percentage of the world's kids are doing just that. And, you know, the jury is still out. Maybe 20 years from now, people look back on people like me and say, oh, you scared us all to death for nothing. But this is one experiment where I would not want my child to be in the experimental group. I'd want him to be in the controls. You know, we recommend ink-on-paper books. We've had them for 500 years. No one's ever gotten a brain tumor from reading a book that you got at the library. So we strongly recommend and we use ink-on-paper to do our entire reading program. We do not use the iPad um, And I do think the iPad is a brilliant thing. I think the iPhone is brilliant. There are many great things about it. But I would not be exposing a child to it at all, ever. Excellent. Yeah, there's a joke going around now that cursive is the new encryption for adults, so their kids can't (laughs) know what's going on. (laughs) Well, I heard a wonderful piece about kids who were learning script and loving it and doing a great job. And they had already done some kind of brain scans to show that script is, you know, superior to typing on a computer. So why am I not surprised? Right, exactly. The old Palmer method. <laughs> well, Jerry, uh, what what you have any any anything else for this tremendous guest? What a great show. I've, I have about... Uh, 30 people saying they learned so much today. Well, well I'm, I'm happy. happy. I'm, yeah, yeah, basically the key so, is we, so we want to keep to everyone stimulated. Yeah. And just remember, yeah, the and only one that doesn't make mistakes are the people that don't do anything. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Janet, thank you so much, and thank you, Jerry, for uh, lining this up. But I, uh, Janet, I think we're going to have to have you back. Uh, well, that would be great. I look forward to it. You know, maybe we will have Dick Vermeil on this program and uh, Bobby Clark, uh, who lives in Sarasota. Uh, very interesting man. Uh, he used to play for the for the uh, 
flyers, yeah. Flyers. Uh, yeah. You know, maybe we can talk about this uh, on a practical level that uh, these 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 elite athletes uh, have seen in their life and what they've come up against, and maybe how it, is, it has it has affected them. So I, I think uh, there's a lot to be learned uh, for, from your work. Well, we're we're here to teach, and that's what we do. So anytime, we'll, we'll be happy to come. Great. Thank you. You're just a wealth of knowledge. So thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank Jerry, you. thank you. You're welcome. I know you usually you usually have a little wor- uh, little words of wisdom at the end here, so you might as well do it before we sign off. Yeah, basically, uh, every day should be passed as if it was your your first day in in life, not your last. I agree with that, and I just heard a great jazz musician who wrote a song. Tomorrow is today, and I love that con that concept. Janet, again, thank you. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for thank listening you. to Take Dr. Care. Ron Unfiltered, Uncensored. We're here every Tuesday at 4 p.m., uh, and uh, next week will be the Seinfeld edition. We'll have a lots of different information for you. And uh, we'll uh, have uh, Janet Doman back again. Uh, just a great, great program. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, if uh, your friends want to listen to this program, it is on Blog Talk Radio. It is archived. It will be up and running in about an hour. Uh, your friends can listen to it. Uh, oh, Janet, how about a phone number? The phone number for the Institutes is 215-233-2050. And you ha- there's right. a real-life switchboard operator, not a machine. Okay, <laughs> and I'll put that on the, on the on the Facebook page also. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, 215-233-2050. The show is archived. You you can have your friends listen to it. If you have uh, friends with children that are uh, overactive or or they really they have brain injury and they don't they need help and they need someone to talk to, uh, the institute is a great place and uh, highly recommend it. And have them listen to the show. Okay, ladies and gentlemen. That's it. See you next week. As we say, see you on the radio. Thank you, everybody. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye. God bless. Ciao. Ciao. Dr. Ron and Dr. Ron have left the building. Thank you for listening to Rejuvenation Health Radio. Here on BlogTalkRadio.com. See you next week. Ciao.